These are the tribulations of Paulette. It was a spy date bonanza. Bertie, Howard, and I caught Dolly in the act with her new boss, real estate broker Owen Hamish, and his tongue in a booth at the cottage restaurant. But we weren't the only ones to witness the lovers. Bunyan was also outside getting his own eyeful. Bertie and Howard's white heads snap as I hightail it out of the parking lot before Bunyan picks us off too. I worry aloud that this might prompt Bunyan to resort to his previous criminal ways. Send Dolly a test! Tell her Bunyan is outside, Bertie says. Test or text, the situation is out of my hands. And it's just as well, because I've got a big nut to crack in the next few days. After months of planning and writing large subsidy checks, it is finally the weekend of my 30th high school reunion. I head to my gym, the G-Spot, for one last workout before my reunion class gets to see with three kids and 25 years of alcohol and cookie dough has done to the prom queen. I hop onto the elliptical machine with the latest Star magazine, whose cover story is Guess Whose Toenails. As I flip through Star, I notice that four of the five TV screens which loom above the cardio deck all featured Jennifer Aniston films. It's kind of creepy seeing all those Jennifer Anistons. Then it occurs to me that she might be an evil alien, maybe from the same tribe as Madonna. The films span a 10-year period, but Jen's erect nipples are on display looking exactly the same in every one of them. I wonder if this is the hub of her talent. Maybe this is how she originally snagged Brad Pitt, whose passable toenails occupy the centerpiece of this article in Star Magazine. I give Brad credit for getting out of the Jennifer Aniston vortex by the skin of his teeth. But then, another alien found him. After cardio, I go into the aerobic studio to stretch. I do a downward dog and then make the mistake of looking back to see what's hanging. This is why I don't do yoga. Behold the basis for the New York Times claim that suicide is on the rise for the middle-aged. Now I know why Dolly and her fanatic pals all wear full-length yoga trousers. Guess what, Jennifer Aniston? Someday, it's gonna get you too. Gravity wants to bring me down. (laughs) As I'm stretching, the door to the studio opens and in rides Pocahontas. Pocahontas is the kind of quality member you end up with when you join a gals-only gym. She works out in full Native American costume, including fringed poncho, accented with feather, and leather. She's about my age, and aside from battling undeniable mental challenges, she's actually in very good physical shape. Then it hits me. Pocahontas might be on to something. The fashion shtick as diversion. If I could come up with something similar for myself, it might alleviate the need to spend so much of Dave's dough on short-lived Botox and Restylane shots from Dr. Fish. Dearly departed Boston socialite Marilyn Reisman 
never left the house without full kabuki makeup. She was an icon. No one ever paid attention to her age, to her weight, or what she was wearing. It was so hard to just get past that white face. It was bizarre. It was horrifying. But in some kooky way, it was fabulous. I wonder if Dave would respond positively to having his very own geisha. I rarely use the showers at the G-spot anymore because women are so disgusting in the locker room. Today, however, I have no choice because I have to see Dr. Fish in an hour. Getting Botox from Dr. Fish is kind of like having sex, so I need to be clean. I open several shower doors before I find one without hair and soap scum ringing the drain. Mid-rinse, I notice a tan patch with an embossed ortho label stuck to the shower wall. Repulsed, I try to remove it and I break a fingernail in the process. After my shower, I walk by the whirlpool, where several overweight dykes loll like walruses among stray aisles of foam-buttressed pubic hair. The huge locker room is virtually empty, but because of Murphy's Law, the only other person in it happens to have the locker two down from mine. I recognize her from the whirlpool area. She sets up shop pretty much right in my face and begins to towel off her prodigious ass. I smile at her as I slather Nivea on my legs, but she doesn't smile back. Instead, she points to a sign on the wall. This is a scent-free zone, she says. No scents are allowed in this area. Well, no one told me that when they issued me this locker, I say. I'm just putting some cream on my legs. I can see what you're doing, and it's against the rules. I'm allergic to scents, she says. You're going to have to move. I look at the Nivea label. Oh, but look, this is unscented Nivea, I say. I can still smell it, she says. I've got a nose for that sort of thing. Let me get this straight, I say. You joined the G-Spot, an all-women's gym, and you're allergic to scents. This whole joint smells like a French whorehouse. First of all, I'm not French, so how would I know? Look, I interrupt. I'm not singling you out. I have a kid with an allergy, and we had to learn to function in the real world. I mean, the cardio deck here is right above the cafe, and it always smells like garlic bagels. Does that bother you, too? As she pulls on a pair of big girl underpants, she says, Perfumes and scents are my problems, not bagels. Then she stops. What are you looking at? Not much, I say, and for the second time today, I hightail it out of there. Twenty minutes later, Dr. Fish straddles me in his exam chair, squirting his white stuff in all the right places to ensure that I have a youthful and expressionless face for the reunion. Tiny dabs of blood dot my face as I approach the payment window and offer my American Express card. I'm so sorry to trouble you, the receptionist whispers sotto voce, but do you have another card? This one doesn't seem to be working. I'm sure there's a flaw in the system. My Amex? Not working? Try it again, I say. There must be something wrong. She tries it again. No, I'm sorry, she says. You probably need to give them a ring. Gee, this is more than a little embarrassing. Did Dave's office forget to pay his Amex? I pay the $1,500 tab with my debit card. In the car, I call Dave, but he doesn't answer. 
I head to the mall and march straight to the Chanel counter at Bloomingdale's, where I learn, to my chagrin, that Chanel Number no. 35 Pink Accent Lipstick has been discontinued just like that. The lipstick that defined me for the past 10 years is gone before I had a chance to order a lifetime supply. My personal feng shui must be on the fritz. I gotta move fast to fix the vibe. On impulse, I tell the makeup gal that I'm dressing up as a geisha for a party. Can she make me up like one? Oh, she gets all excited and whips out brushes, paints, and poultices. Obviously, it's a slow day on the sales floor. I get kind of excited as a small crowd gathers to watch. I go from recently injected red face to Marilyn Reisman in about 10 minutes. When the makeup is finished, the crowd disperses quickly. Their overall response is muted. The salesperson passes me a mirror, and I can see why there was no ovation. The white face makes me look like Birdie, except older. High-arched black eyebrows are drawn in above my own. Thin red lips accentuate every line between my mouth and nose, and they're all vertical. Two pink patches of blush on my cheeks are reminiscent of Marcel Marceau. More horrific than the makeup job is the realization that I have now crossed some invisible border and I am certifiably nuts. The sales gal says no charge when I ask how much, and she can't look me in the slanted eye. In an attempt to be polite, I buy some moisturizer and leave with the makeup on, eliciting a stare or two or ten on my way out the door. Thank God I live close to the mall. I gotta get this stuff off and fast. I didn't even consider if it would react with the injections from Dr. Fish. What if the white face makeup starts an infection? I'll be a mess for the reunion. What was I thinking? The light turns red as I pull up to the big intersection near our house. There's a crowd of people five feet from me waiting at the bus stop. Among them is a man in a white golf shirt and Nantucket reds. He fumbles with a set of golf clubs, a tennis racket, and some fishing rods. A large duffel bag sits on the sidewalk in front of him. As I continue to stare, the man turns around and looks right at me over his half-eyes, and I'm chilled to the bone. It's Bunyan! It takes him a few seconds to realize that it's me. And when he does, the light turns green. He raises a free arm to get my attention. Even though my windows are closed, I can hear him yelling, Paulette! Paulette-san! As I leave him in the dust. I race into my house, throw my keys on the counter, and go to feed the ravenous cat, who meows in the kitchen. As I place a cup of food in his bowl, He gets a look at my white face and bolts out of the room, completely spooked. As I turn to head upstairs to wash my face, I hear the back door open and click shut again. Susanna, I ask, thinking it's my cleaning lady. It's me, Dave says, as he walks into the kitchen and throws his keys on the counter. Jesus Christ, he says when he sees me grabbing his heart. What the hell happened to you? Are you all right? I'm fine, I say. This was just for kicks. I was playing around with a little makeup over at Bloomingdale's. I'm going to go wash it off right now. But I'm excited to see you at home. Did you come home early for any particular reason? Hoping that the particular reason might be me. I did, he says. Come over here. 
I get a catch in my throat. Dave has come home in the middle of the day, just like he used to when we first fell in love. It's like a dream come true. He sits on the low stool at my desk. I go over and kneel in front of him, geisha-like. You're going to be seeing a lot more of me, Paul, Eddie says, his hand on my shoulder. I imagine long afternoon trysts involving wine and ripe fruit. That's wonderful, honey, I say. Uh, not really, he says. I've been laid off. Oh, how a new friendship makes me smile. This is Eric Fontana. First and second dates and pretty eyes. So I guess you won't return those calls of me. Someone must have warned you about me You and I had made a lovely start I could even feel you in my heart But those schemes I have won't keep my past away Someone must have warned you Up next, Tennessee Ave. Till then, ta-ta. Someone must have told you all the hurt that hurt I've done. Now I'll never hold you, curse the wicked race I run. Loving's what I need, just like anybody else. Seems a little birdie shoved me back on my own chair. That's just the way it goes Nobody's to blame, I suppose Hell, it's just as well I probably would have stored in your dreams Someone should have